getting those postdoctoral fellows into analyst research really just builds out basic science that people that postdoctoral fellows are really doing to really better understand what are the causes of ALS. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Connecting ALS. I am Jeremy Holden, joined again this week by co-host Jessica Chapman. Jessica, good to see you this week. Hey, Jeremy. Good to see you as always. Yeah, summer's moving right along. I hope everybody listening at home and you as well had a nice 4th of July holiday. I know I took some time to reflect back on the legacy of Lou Gehrig, this being uh, the anniversary of his famous Luckiest Man on Earth speech, and just a good opportunity to kind of recenter ourselves in the fight ahead. And, you know, Jessica, you and I have been talking in recent weeks about doing whatever it takes to make ALS a livable disease and ultimately finding a cure. Yeah, we really have. And one of the ways that we are working to make ALS a livable disease is to find new treatments, new research, invest resources. And timely enough, we're able to speak to Dr. Jill Yersak this week, who is Vice President of Mission Strategy, to talk about the Milton Seifenowitz postdoctoral program and the fellows who have been awarded over the years since 2004, actually, and how essentially this program works. Yeah, it's a great program, been around for a very long time. Uh, I was surprised to reflect back on, on 2004 and, and all the great people that have come through that program. And Jessica, you and I had the opportunity a couple weeks ago to hear from Dr. Kuldeep Dave about the search for new treatments and really kind of expanding that research pipeline and, and the role that that plays in making ALS a livable disease, ultimately finding a cure. And, and this week, we kind of look at another side of that coin and how the Safenowitz program is part of an overall strategy to recruit some of the best young researchers into the field and really expanding that roster of people that are, are looking for new treatments. Absolutely. And not only recruit, but also retain, which as Jill gets into showing how successful this program has been at not only attracting people, but also keeping them in the ALS space. Absolutely. Well, Jessica, you're not a doctor and I'm not a doctor, but Dr. Jill Yersek is. So why don't we get out of the way and we can hear from Dr. Jill Yersek. Dr. Yersek, thank you for being with us this morning. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're excited to have you here and talking about an important topic and one that I know is, is close and important to you. And that is bringing new researchers into the ALS community, into the fight against ALS. And I want to talk specifically about the Safenowitz Postdoctoral Fellowship Program. For our listeners who may not be familiar, can you explain how the Sefenowitz Fellowship Program works? Sure. Um, the Sefenowitz Postdoctoral Fellowship Program was founded back in 2004. So we've had this in the works with the ALS Association for a long time. It's one of our, I think, oldest research programs. It's actually founded in honor of and named after uh, Mr. Sefenowitz, who died in 1998. And the Sefenowitz family has been great um, patrons of the ALS Associations for, for, for many years. And, and that's also in partnership with our Greater New York chapter. And uh, that's close to my heart because that's really close to where I live. So the postdoctoral fellowship program is really a request for application for postdoctoral fellows. Uh, you have to be, I think, in your first year of your postdoctoral fellowship to apply. And it's a two-year uh, grant um, for $75,000 a year over two years. That's $150,000. And that uh, money helps you or the postdoctoral fellow on this podcast, really support the research you're doing during your fellowship. Dr. Yersak, for folks who haven't gone the PhD route, what is a postdoctoral program? So um, a postdoctoral fellow program is kind of like a residency for 
for medical students, but without the hospital. So you go to, um, once you finish your PhD, so you go to graduate school for many years, you finish your PhD, and then you want to specialize in something. And so you have an opportunity to pick a lab. And once you're finishing up your graduate school, you take a lot of time to do some more research for your career and figure out where you want to land. And so um, you can, you know, there's topics anywhere in neurodegenerative diseases. Obviously, we want people to go into ALS research, but it's a choice that you make. And the postdoctoral fellowship is an opportunity for young researchers to really build a research portfolio and publish a lot of papers. So in order to, to grow up and be an academic scientist, you need to have a lot of publications and papers. And that helps you get your first job and to have your own lab in an academic uh, research center. And this is no easy feat. Research takes a long time and publications take time to write. So usually a postdoctoral fellowship program can be anywhere from like three to maybe five years, but I've had friends do longer because they're just building their research portfolio. I, my postdoctoral fellowship was only through, but I knew I didn't want to stay in academic research. So it depends on what your career goals are, but it's a really opportunity for you to specialize in a specific disease and become an expert in that disease. Dr. Yosak, you mentioned your postdoc uh, program and your postdoc opportunity. Talk to me a little bit about how that helps focus your energies on a specific field or on a specific practice that you mentioned uh, that it's a way to help people figure out where they want to land. How did it, your postdoc, what role did it play leading you into ALS? Yeah, so at my graduate school, I worked in another neurodegenerative disease called Kennedy's disease. And I, I love the brain. I love the neuroscience field, even though my PhD was in molecular cell biology. So when I was looking for postdocs, I knew I wanted to stay in neuroscience. And at the time, my husband had finished medical school and residency, and we wanted to move out of where we lived in New Jersey. So we, his first job was in Rhode Island. And so I got really lucky, and I found a great mentor. Her name is Dr. Ann Hart at Brown University. And so um, I really liked her because she was open to, for me to really start my own project. At the time when I started was just um, a spinal muscular atrophy lab and a sleep lab. But I, we talked and we decided that I would be the one to start the ALS program at, at, uh, in her lab. And it was fun because in my graduate school, I was working mostly with cells and motor neurons, whereas in my postdoc, the lab was mainly on P. elegans, or and they're microscopic worms that have a lot of the conserved genes that we do. So we can model disease after C. elegans. And they're easy and cheap to work with because they only eat bacteria and they have a very short life cycle, like less than a week. So it's not like I'm dealing with mice. So it's also an opportunity for a, a person or a scientist to to learn new skills and to learn a new um, animal model. So this, in my case, I learned all about worms and I became, it's a very close-knit worm community um, and I, I loved it. It was a really fun opportunity to, to learn a new skill and I was able to build ALS disease models um, in, in worms at the time to eventually, hopefully do drug screening. So that's what I did, but really it's, again, it's a way to build that new skill, new a way to learn a new field and to really specialize into ALS. So I really, you dive deep into that field, into the research and you go to different ALS research meetings and you, and you get to network uh, with ALS researchers around the world at different meetings. So I had the worm meetings, which I met all the worm people. And then I met all the ALS people at the ALS meetings. And then I went to the neuroscience meetings at Society for Neuroscience. And so it was a, a way to like network and meet new people. And that actually helps you 
get a job eventually when you're done your postdoctoral fellowship. Dr. Yersak, your comments, your story there shows that there's a lot of different ways to get into ALS research. But taking us back to the Safe Inowitz Postdoctoral Fellowship Program, why is this program specifically so important to ALS research? Yeah, so it, in my mind, it's a really an opportunity for us, the association, to fund young researchers and bring them into the ALS field. We want the best and the brightest, and in order to foster that, we need money. And um, and researchers who have labs need postdoctoral fellows, but a lot of times they just can't afford them. In my case, we had a, a decent budget, and we had about, there was four of us four postdoctoral fellows. And then they play a really big role. Once you have a postdoctoral fellow, you actually mentor all the graduate students and all the undergrad students, because I was at Brown, so I got to have both. And so they play a, a big leadership role in, your, in a, a lab and really produce a lot of papers that they're the most motivated to, to, to produce. So it really brings young scientists in, they bring new, their new ideas in, and then they can also build on ideas from the mentors and build out those programs. like. We, in my case, I started the ALS program, which I'm proud to say that's still going on today. And, and the students I mentored, some of them stayed in ALS research, which was really exciting. In our case, last year, we funded eight postdoctoral fellows um, in 2020. Um, the request for applications for the current programs closed. So we'll know who the new fellows are probably around October, November this year. But in perpetuity, we've awarded at least 80 postdoctoral fellows since 2004. I was trying to do some quick math in my head. Wow. And yeah, and we, and over 76% of those fellows have stayed in research. And that is not easy. <laughs> I can't emphasize that enough. So they have their own labs. Now they're mentoring their own students. And that's what we want. We want that. It's like a circle of life. You know, you have, you have, you have um, a young scientist who, who grew up in the ALS field and then decided to stay and then mentor their own students. And then what's interesting, when I was looking at the data at a recent report we did, the rest of the, um, the fellows that weren't in, didn't stay in academic research, a lot of them still stayed in ALS. A lot of them are medical writers, um, are in pharma now, regulatory spaces, some in government. So, but I have still have that little hand, I have a hand in some way into the ALS space. And so in my case, I uh, decided to go into nonprofit. And so even though I wasn't an academic researcher, I got lucky with timing and was able to land a job at the association a couple of years after my postdoctoral fellowship ended. I don't want to date myself. <laughs> well, we're, we're <laughs> very, very fortunate for us. Um, yeah, those those retention numbers are inspiring to think that uh, you know folks are coming in through the program and then staying in the space. Dr. Yersak, one of the things that we've been hearing about and talking about at the association is this idea of doing whatever it takes. And I know part of that is just expanding the knowledge base, knowing more. I know you've been on our show talking about biomarkers and the the, the search to, to know more about how the disease works, the mechanisms uh, to help guide us toward treatments. But I'm curious the role of, as you've been talking about, how important is it to expand the team of people that are working towards asking some of these questions and, and digging up the answers? Yeah, that the expanding of the workforce is just so important. You know, we need the infrastructures. And really, in my mind, when you have a postdoctoral fellow in your lab, if you're lucky enough to have one, because some labs can't afford them, it's really the heart. You know, they're the mentors. You know, you're, if it's your lab, you are the ultimate mentor 
but you're busy writing grants and you have your teaching and you have a lot going on. Whereas your, your postdoctoral fellows are in the lab every day with everybody and they're the leaders and they get to teach everybody else and mentor everyone else and make sure everyone's on track. And so I, like when I was a postdoc, we would have weekly meetings with my boss and she was super available and I saw her all the time, but I know I had other friends in research and postdocs who never saw their mentors because they were just so busy and they were really almost put in charge in a way uh, of their labs. And so getting those postdoctoral fellows into ALS research really just built out basic science that people, that postdoctoral fellows are really doing to really better understand what are the causes of ALS. Cause I'll, I'll, most of our, a lot of our fellows are, are involved, and I look back in the projects we funded, are involved in those basic questions of what are the causes and underlying mechanisms that cause the cells to die in ALS. Like what, what's actually going on at a molecular level or cellular level? And in the last 10 or 15 years, you know, the technology has so much has blown up and there's so much opportunity to really dive deeper and learn more at that level than ever before. So it's really exciting right now, I think, more than ever to be a postdoctoral fellow in the ALS space. And, you know, we have 15 right now that are, are currently actively funding and it's so much fun to see what they're doing and see who, the, who they're mentoring and to talk to them. And because of the pandemic, we used to have a symposium every other year with our Greater New York chapter, but because of the pandemic, we had to, we had to put that on pause. So we're hoping that we can get that back up and running again. And so really, and we're thinking of other creative ways of where, how we can get our postdoctoral fellows together virtually to meet each other and to network. Cause it's really creating actually our fellowship program, a little network of people too, to get to know each other and see um, what each other are doing and how, they can help each other. I've been in symposiums where someone presents and someone says, oh, well, I have this idea based on what you just said. And like, oh my goodness, I didn't even think of that. And then they go back to the lab and like learn from each other. It's, it's really cool to watch. Dr. Yersek, you kind of touched on this already, but I want to see if there's anything else to expand upon regarding barriers to preventing more researchers from entering the ALS space. You did note that money is definitely a concern. You also touched on infrastructure. Is there anything else or can you expand more on those two areas of why they might be preventing researchers from entering ALS? Yeah, you know, we need, you need, you need money and you need people <laughs> and then, and you need supplies. And in order to buy the supplies, you need the money. So, so, you know, what were the, the post, postdoctoral fellowship program was really building that infrastructure of, of the people and the supplies. And so, so labs, even small labs, because you think of some, when you, a lot of times when you think, and my friends think of an academic scientist, they think of these like big labs and these big universities where like sprawling and have all the, all the things and all the equipment and all the supplies that, that does exist, but there's a lot of labs out there that are small and they're starting out and they need postdoctoral fellows more than anyone to get their projects off the ground and published. So then they can apply for more money for bigger grants like at the NIH for like an R01 and for a postdoctoral fellowship, I think it's a K99. Don't quote me on that, but I think that's what it is. That, you know, at the NIH, which is an even bigger grant and really even more prestigious to get like an academic job finishing your postdoctoral fellowship. So it's a way to get the research done and the publications done to 
build your your CV to be able to get that big job, academic job. And that's what we're doing. And that's what we're proud of. Because without that infrastructure, the bottom is just going to fall out and you won't have the people to do the real work to get that, get the, those projects done, those publications out. And, you know, when I say a publication, publications can take a year to write and to edit and to get submitted and, and to be accepted into a journal. So it's a, it's a long time. I want to talk about the publications aspect of this. I, you know, you, you mentioned, Dr. Yersek, that in the last 15 years, the knowledge base has expanded. The number of people that are drawn to, to this field has expanded. You know, we saw when we looked at the impact of the ice bucket challenge, the leveraging some of the grants into additional research down the road, and a lot of the collaboration that we saw coming out of some of that spending. But for folks at home who don't get the quarterly journals, talk a little bit about the importance, like what is the impact of a journal article of those publications beyond building out a CV? What's the real world impact of additional journal articles? Like how do they come into play? Yeah, you wanna publish so everyone knows what you're doing. If you don't publish, then what you're doing doesn't, doesn't really matter as much because you can, if you have a wonderful finding or you find something new, you want to tell everyone. And in order to do that in an academic setting, you have to publish a paper and it has to be cited. So then, then I could take that work and say, oh my goodness, look what Jeremy and Jessica and their labs did. It's so awesome. I love this. I love this new technique. And now I can take that new technique. I can call Jessica and Jeremy and say, oh my goodness, can you please share with me some more information on how to get this new um, technique done. And then you share information with me, then I can then take that new technique or new information and do a new project. And then I cite your work and my work. So it's a way to learn from each other, to learn new techniques. And, you know, and even if you have negative results, it's important to publish them because you don't want someone making the same mistakes you made and say, you know, trials fail all the time or projects fail all the time. And say I went down a road to some pathway in the cell that I really thought was promising. And it turns out, yeah, unfortunately, it just sucks. That just wasn't what I thought it was. But that information is still super valuable. And people won't know that unless you publish it. So that, that those publications are gold. It's really the gold standard of academic research. And, you know, there's, you know, there's tiers of different journals. You don't have to be in a nature or cell uh, or science to, you know, excel. Those are like really hard to get into. But there's a lot of ton of journals underneath them that are really great that are, you don't have to have like reams and reams of data for to get into that you can publish in even if it's negative. So people can still learn because when you, as a scientist, you go on PubMed and you search for ALS and you the ALS plus C. elegans, the worm, the worm model is using. And then I could see what's been happening lately and then I can learn from that. And that's something we do as academic scientists all the time. So in other words, I can learn what not to do with the worms because we've already tried it. Yes. And I can learn what we learned about what worked with the worms and try it on the mice and eventually on the people and we work our way up. And now I'm learning about don't do that with the worms, do this with the worms. Exactly. Yeah. I love how you said that. Yeah. <laughs> It's my goal to be one of the worm people now. You should be. It's a great community. <laughs> I, I, I imagine so. Is there anything else, Dr. Yersek, that you want to share about this program? Yeah. I, you know, I just, I know it's too late to apply this year, but 
for all the postdoctoral fellowships out, fellows out there and all the academic scientists who may be listening to this podcast, you know, take a look at our, our website under research. There's a, a page around research funding opportunities that you can click on the right-hand navigation and check it out and encourage your postdoctoral fellowship fellows to apply. You know, I, it's so important. And a lot of times you don't have time to figure out what's available for your postdocs to apply to. So apply, apply early. And if you don't get it, apply again. And so I, I, I really encourage everyone to, to look into this program. And I just, you know, I'm really proud of this program and to see all the fellows who've come and gone since I've been here in the last almost six years. It's been really fun part of my my uh, job here is to, to get to know the, our uh, postdoctoral fellows, fellows over the years and to interview them and to um, see what they, all the great things they've been doing. And I can tell you that um, our chief scientist, Dr. Dave, feels the same way. So onward we go, and I hope to get some really great applications this year, and we'll be announcing them in the fall. A note of hope to wrap things up on uh, Dr. Yersak. Thanks again for your time today. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Jessica. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you, Dr. Yersak. That was a really great conversation. It was so wonderful to talk not only about the Safe Inowitz program, but also about your own experience, your own trajectory in the ALS space. Yeah, really given a personal touch to the, the role that the postdoc experience plays and how it can really kind of bring people into the mix. Always a pleasure to have Dr. Yersak on the show. Make sure you are signed up for the ALS Association's blog so you can learn more about the current recipients of the Milton Safenowitz Postdoctoral Fellowship Program. We'll link in the show notes to a profile of Dr. Sonia Vasquez-Sanchez, a postdoctoral fellow from the Cleveland Lab at the Ludwig Institute for Cancer Research at the University of California at San Diego. You can learn more about her unique research focused on RNA binding protein, TDP43, and its effects on ALS. Stay tuned throughout the summer and into the fall as we profile those bright young minds who are entering the fight against ALS. That is going to do it for this week's episode. Be sure to find a time to rate and review us wherever you find podcasts. It is a great way for us to bring more people into our listenership and connect with even more people. So tell a friend, rate and review us, and help us build that audience out. This episode was produced by Garrett Tiedemann of the ALS Association's Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota chapter. Thanks for tuning in. We'll connect with you again soon.